Tech Trends 24-7 Leaders is a passionate podcast hosted by James P. Quinn on technology innovation. It provides insightful interviews with key and inspiring innovators in areas of corporate technology, office of the future, AI, real estate, sustainability, assistive technologies, and other emerging technologies. Tech Trends 24-7 Leaders will smartly position you where your business, life, and industries are moving for the future. Brian Schaefer is principal of Highland Associates, a full-service design firm providing architectural, MEP engineering, and commissioning services with a focus on mission-critical facilities. The firm is now on its 35th year and has planned, designed, and or commissioned over 10 million square feet of data center facilities with well over one gigawatt of UPS power. Clients include enterprise data centers, data center providers, co-location operators, and hyperscale companies throughout the U.S. His role at Highland includes leading strategic initiatives and serving as the account executive for national data center clients. Welcome, Brian. Brian, great to have you on the podcast today. It's great seeing you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for, thanks for being on. Um, I think we're really um, interested in terms of our conversation topic today, the future of data centers. But first, could you just give us an update in terms of what you're focused on at Highland? Sure. Uh, first of all, I'll say uh, it's, it's uh, still a very exciting time to be in the data center industry from all aspects, from the real estate, from the design, construction. It continues to be a booming market and and looks great for the near future and, and even out there five, 10 years. So it's all good for us. But my focus at Highland as it's really on the clients in the hyperscale, the colo, enterprise data centers, data center providers. So I have a pretty good handle on that. I've been in the business for 25 years, managing many clients. So some of the things that we see as a firm are number one, going back to being a booming market, we have to stay focused, stay responsive to the client's needs, their demands. They're going a mile a minute, their design schedules, construction schedules, equipment buy. It's things we just have to stay on top of and be responsive while in the same breath, not over committing and diluting our resources and staff at the same time. So that's one piece of it. Our Challenges are staffing, keeping the right number of people employed and on the jobs, again, without overcommitting or undercommitting. The clients that we have from the hyperscalers to the data center providers are all doing a lot of work in a lot of locations. And the market itself, the, the design firms that we work with or compete with, they're all in the same boat. If you're not busy right now, there's something wrong with you. Exactly. You mentioned the national markets. What are you seeing in those markets? What kind of projects have you been, you know, in the front of, maybe get a sense of how do you see the national landscape? Because as you said, it's a very exciting time. Yes. Well, the national is it, still booming. You, you, everyone knows about Northern Virginia, right? It's the hotbed, data center alley. Everybody's down there. The hyperscalers are down there. All the providers are down there. We have power issues down there. So you see that market stretching into neighboring counties from Loudoun to Prince William to other counties in the region. But you go away from Northern Virginia, there's a lot of hotbeds out there. Uh, Atlanta, Phoenix, uh, Dallas, uh, Columbus, Ohio, 
um, Hillsboro, Oregon, Salt Lake City, all the markets. There's a lot of activity across the country. And you're also looking at the, some of the secondary markets that, you know, Denver, et cetera. There's a lot of activity. The sites seem to get bigger and bigger. Every time you turn around, you go from it was 10 megawatts, 20 megawatts, 40 megawatts, 80. Now you're seeing sites up into the 400 megawatts of some I'm hearing these days. So, Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an interesting time. And Brian, take us like back where early on that we were doing these type of projects where you'd have, for example, a financial company or a major corporation. They were like, we want to own our own data center. We want to build, you know, 200,000 square feet. It's going to be great for the next, you know, 30 years. And where it is today in terms of how people want flexibility in their technology portfolio. And then how is the design of data centers change and transform to what is today? Good point. Um, being in New York City, both of us are. Obviously, our bread and butter going back over the years has been the financial service companies, all the major banks, investment banks. That's where our bread was buttered going back 20 years and they were the king. They would do something and we'd all jump. They still have that power, but a lot of the financials, they changed their model. It goes up and down. Sometimes they want to build their own. Sometimes they want to go into Colo and lease their own. And, and that trend goes up and down, sideways, hybrid. So what we see right now is a lot of the financials doing a little bit of both. They're still building their own, but you see them going into regionalized colo facilities, maybe for certain applications. Some of the investment banks may have six, 500 kW to one megawatt type sites throughout a region or throughout the country, while also having a large scale enterprise data center or two back up in a specific geographical location. But the trend is away from the financials and obviously into the hyperscale companies, the social media companies, the cloud, and what, well, obviously the new trend going forward, which we'll probably talk more about is AI, which is going to drive a lot of the, the new builds as well. But we, but we see, still see a lot of the financials active. There's not... They're all just different uh, options on the, on the menu right now for them. Yeah. And I, in terms of a design, what's the criteria today as compared to early on when we, we started working on these projects? Going back historically and even back to the financials, it was who in. It had to be reliable. Yes. Um, now they've gone off of that and nobody's really doing two in anymore on the UPS. So we... See, flexible, the, the time to market is the key to anybody. When a colo or a, a data center provider's selling space to XYZ financial or social media or publishing company, whatever the tenant may be, they're offering up a solution in a market and they have to be in by X date for X cost per KW. And, and it's a challenge. There's a lot of competition out there. Mm -hmm. You go to any one of these major markets and there's six plus providers offering this, a deal to the same one they're chasing. You see it all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're, we're definitely right in the middle of that. And talking about timing, I think it's a, a great point that you bring up. What are you seeing as it relates to the supply chains now? 
Has it gotten better? Is it the same? Because we're seeing also any data center developments also a good portion of them have been on put on hold because they're worried that they have to deliver to a client a specific date. They're actually not going to meet that date. So it'd be great to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I don't think it's gotten any better. It may have leveled off on the supply chain. I, I think if anything, companies have worked around, gotten used to when, you know, 50, 60, 70 weeks for a piece of equipment or their equipment. So they're planning that way. I think the challenge is, and this kind of focuses on if you're a new to a market and looking for a new site, don't have a site, and you're talking, and people will argue this point is probably a three-year process from identification of a, an area to acquiring the site, you know, identifying the site, acquiring the site, getting the permitting process go in, in place, approvals, design, equipment uh, ordering, pr procurements, and construction. You'll you'll hear you know a lot of people say I can have you in a place in ten months. Well, that's if all of that other stuff is in place. And I'm sure that when you're out talking to clients about we need something by 2026, you're you need to be in working on that right now. No, and the challenge there, and you go back to the financials or any of these kind. Their IT needs change in three years. How do you forecast the real estate needs over the technology needs that may change, that change yearly? Yeah, 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 rapidly. No, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. And I, I think the due diligence is, is critical because we've some uh, seen some groups stub their toes where they got a property under contract. It's great in terms of a latency standpoint, they're ready to go. But then they do their due diligence and all of a sudden they realize to get a, a transformer or a substation is going to take six years. So right. I think in terms of you saying that everything has to be right, it almost right, it has to be perfect to get that. A lot of times it doesn't. And we've also seen that um, local zoning, getting that done and, and getting the, the town to sign off on that. Yeah. That's another challenge as well. Yeah, it's a good point you bring up. We've seen some cases where you have, for example, back to Northern Virginia, very friendly, very favorable, knows what a data center is. Same with now Dallas or Atlanta or Hillsborough, they, they get it. But you go into some markets now, they don't know what a data center is. They don't know what the requirement is. You have neighbors that don't want to have a big, loud building next to their $2 million homes or whatever it is. So you need to, you need a, a friendly environment when you go in there as well. Yeah. And then Brian, you mentioned early on AI, we're very, we like to be ahead of the curve in terms of technology impact. How do you see that changing the data center industry? I, I think from my perspective, I think it's, we don't know. All I'm seeing or hearing now is that the demand is going to be astronomical. Mm -hmm. The growth for IA or AI is tremendous. It's going to change the size, complexity, design of data centers more, I think, on the, the telecom side. But with that goes the power and cooling associated with it. The size of these data centers, I'm hearing the hyperscalers for... AI are going to be in the 
400 plus megawatt type site campuses. And then what's crazy? See, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's it's crazy. So <laughs> I know. And then what's the latest on density? What are you seeing in the trends in density and who, who I, I think you? all have a little bit of different philosophy there. Most of the companies, the established companies, the data center providers that are selling space in major markets to all the different customers, they have a standard design. It's a, 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 a their own design, whether it's some sort of five to make four, three to make two, whatever configuration block that you can design a space that the power cooling associated block fits into their square footage, which they can sell to um, a customer. And then they're building blocks, basically. So you, if you need 48 megawatts, it's a specific block that fits into that building. So every one of the providers has their own version of their building block. Mm -hmm. And that's how they're successful is they have standards. They have design guidelines, repetitive. They have their lessons learned so they can say, Listen, we're going to use uh, option A out of our design standard book, which is a block be done at eight, eight to make seven design, whatever their configuration is, design standard. And they are either selling that to a customer and the customer is buying that, or they have the flexibility and, and adaptability to say, we will build for whatever you want. So I think that's the challenge on the provider side too, is what do you how far do you design on a speculative basis or are you purpose building for a bank, a hyperscale or a media company, whatever it may be? Yeah, and I think that kind of how you mentioned earlier on about how technology is rapidly changing. So what advice are you giving your clients and really to address that? Because like you said, if you're a provider, when you come up with a design and all of a sudden you realize that obviously maybe it's not the, in terms of, Things are changing so rapidly, they're going to have to address that. So what, what are you telling your clients on that? Yeah, that's it's good. It depends which side of the client. If we're working for a hyperscale, a financial or an enterprise that says we need to build X megawatts or X square footage site, and this is our design, that's one thing. But if we're working for a provider and planning out a, call it a speculative or in, in a certain geographic area where they want to attract or market to a specific, they have to be flexible. So you may be designing a, a 48 megawatt building, you build out the shell, but how much of that shell do you put the infrastructure in for? Because not a lot of people want to spend the capital to do a full 48 megawatt build on speculation. Mm -hmm. So they may keep half the building as a a uh, warm shell provision with uh, all the design and provisioning for all the generators and the chillers and the rooftop equipment, but you may not actually install yet until you have a customer. So you have to main maintain that flexibility because they may be marketing it to enterprise A and hyperscaler B and media company C, which comes in with their own. So you have to flip on a dime and we see that constantly with the, on the provider side is we'll be full speed ahead designing one way and their sales guys have a deal in the works uh, with this company. They say, wait, they want the air-cooled chiller solution and we've designed for 
water cooled. So let's we got to switch gears right now. So it's it's a challenge and balancing act to say stay ahead of that game and be flexible in the design. And I think on that that you need the resources to really be nimble, right? To to change direction, yeah. course correct. Yeah, right? it, it it's tough. The it's hard to tell a team of architects and engineers that have their head down designing that you're 90% done, but by the way, um, throw that in the garbage. We're starting over and go in this direction. So That's true. And then what's the latest on construction costs? Since the pandemic, what are you seeing? Do you, you, are they going to continue to rise? Do you see them coming down? Because obviously that's another uh, very important area. Yeah, I, I think that right now the trend is up still. Those days of boasting six megawatt or six million megawatt uh, type thing, those are out the those are out the door. Yeah, what are um, they today? What are you seeing today? I think you're in the ten, um, and that you know people are going to argue that one way or the other mm -hmm. uh, because it's a subjective number. What's included in those numbers? Some of the really established. Um, providers can get those down because they're standardized on their equipment buys and they have a good supply chain management program. They can get them down. The hyperscales can get them down. On the scale, but, they're buying at bulk, right? They have good price. Yeah. Right. The, the onesie, twosies, the one-offs, a, a financial that builds once every 10 years to that magnitude is going to be paying a lot more than that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a lot more than the 10 you're saying. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And we, we see that. And so that's why I think when you get, I don't sit in the bank's boardrooms, but somebody's got to be in there saying that the way in the technology costs over the construction costs and real estate costs, and they weigh these out. We, we see the end result from what direction they're going, but what's driving that bus sometimes, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's one of the trends that we're seeing is that really a lot of people now are focused on going from a CapEx model to an OpEx model, just because, you know, like you said, the pricing has really gotten very high. We are in a great industry. What, in terms of finding good people in the industry, is, is a bit of a challenge. So what, are you, what are some of the things that you guys are doing? And Because I think you have, a, I'd like you to talk about your program in terms of the uh, giving them the internship, because I thought that was yeah. a great thing work you guys do it so maybe you can talk about that yeah there's a couple angles I'll, I'll point out there um on the highland side our our successes have always been uh hiring at the intern level from the engineering schools architectural schools training them getting them in as interns become full-time employees and you grow them organically throughout the firm uh, you lose them from for various reasons, change of careers, go to jump for more money, all those things that we all faced with. But our successes have been growing them internally. And that's maybe a culture thing for us. Every firm operates a little differently on their structure and mentality and all that stuff. Growing them internally, that's been our biggest success. One of the things I'll bring up as well, which I think you and I have talked about and have seen, another hat that I wear is the... I'm the president of the 7x24 Exchange Metro New York chapter and have been for 20 years now. But one of our big focuses on the 7x24 Exchange is mentoring and bringing the youth into the uh, industry. And we've run this program called University Challenge. 
where we have local schools in the New York City area, New York, New Jersey area, and we bring students in to present projects, data center oriented. They get exposure to the 7x24 membership, got good partnership with probably six, seven schools now. We all recruit from them. I think over the years, we give them scholarships. So we've really done a tremendous job of promoting to the local schools. And for example, Manhattan College, a great engineering school, 10 years ago, they didn't know what a data center was. Now they are driving the bus on data center solutions at the college level. Some of the brains that are coming out of there, they're phenomenal. Those kids now get employed by a Highland or another engineering firm or a construction firm or a vendor or a real estate firm. And we're just kind of growing that industry and the young talent in the industry. It's going to benefit everybody. And that there's a lot of other organizations that are promoting that as well across the country, across the globe, just generating the, the interest, the education awareness of the of the data center industry and all the different opportunities out there on all aspects. So I, I think it's encouraging to get the new people, new blood out there. Every kid walks around with their phone, their TikTok, whatever they're on. But when they think about where that is being processed, and you say you can't operate any of your life without a data center. No, actually, I think the work you're doing is inspirational because you're right. A lot of people in college aren't connecting the dots of where all that data has to go. I think that the work that you guys are doing is, is admirable and we are in a great industry and it's something that we want to promote. Congratulations to you on that. I think you've really made a lot of progress. Yeah, we've even gone to the, the high school level at this point on on presentations at the high school level, technical schools, et cetera. So yeah. get them in early. Absolutely. Brian, this was a great conversation. Very insightful. Appreciate your time. And thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day. Thank thanks. you, too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Trends 24-7 Leaders. To learn more about technology trends, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can also read my book, Tech Trends 24-7 and the Impact of COVID-19, which is rated a must-read book by CIO Insight. The book is available for purchase on Amazon or on our website, Tech Trends 24-7. When conducting research for the book, I was inspired to see how technology innovation was making a positive difference in people's lives. As a result, in 2020, I founded Beacon of Hope 365. Our mission is to leverage technology to help people in need. More information on the charity can be found on beaconofhope365.org. Thanks again for tuning into the episode and a big thank you to my entire podcast team, Lindsay Sauert, Brianne Lunghammer, and Sal Forcina. See you on the next episode.